Today's reading is from Mark Nepo, his book, The Book of Awakenings, one of my favorites. It's called uh, The Risk to Bloom. And then the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk to bloom. Anais Nin. We all face this turning point repeatedly when resisting the flow of inner events suddenly feels more hurtful than leaping toward the unknown. Yet no one can tell us when to leap. There is no authority to bless our need to enter life but the God within. How often we thwart ourselves by holding tenaciously to what is familiar. It is instructive if chilling, that in floral shops, the roses that won't open are called bullets. They are discarded because they will never bloom. They've turned in on themselves so tightly that they can never release their fragrance. Yet as spirits in bodily form, we have the chance to tighten and bloom more than once. But even spirits, if turned in on themselves enough, may grow accustomed to being closed. Unlike roses, however, the human chamber can be shut down for years, and still it takes but one breath from the true center and we will flower. It has always amazed and humbled me how the risk to bloom can seem so insurmountable beforehand and so inevitably freeing once the threshold of suffering is crossed. I have a friend in recovery, and when asked what made him stop drinking, he says, the pain of drinking became greater than the pain of not drinking. The same can be said for us all. We can flower in an instant, as soon as the pain of not flowering and not loving becomes greater than our fear. It is my pleasure now to introduce Nathaniel Hawker. Nathaniel is a three-year member of UUCL, a graduate of the University of Kentucky's College of Design, receiving his bachelor's and master's degrees in architecture. He is currently an aspirant to UU community ministry within our faith tradition. Today, he is delivering a homily entitled, Shake the Devil Off. I like that chuckle. <laughs> All right. Good morning, everybody. I am honored to have this time with you as this is the first in-person sermon I get the privilege to deliver. And where else would I say yes to than right here at home with you? So in this season of unfamiliarity, this new normal, after having endured so much in the last several years, strange experiences for us all, the unknown still to come. I have been making strides to listen and listen more deeply to the still small voice within me, oftentimes so easily missed, more so so easily ignored. 
The beautiful thing about listening is that you learn things. You learn so much about yourself. And let me tell you, it's very uncomfortable. It's good, nonetheless, messy and necessary. At least if you want growth to take place in your life. It's easier to gain comfort and complacency. Why? Because it's comfortable. There's not a whole lot of work involved in simply sitting still and settling for what is. And so lately I've drawn a deeper ear into that still small voice within me. The one that inspired this message, in fact. It spoke, and though I was taken back in the moment, I reveled in the nostalgia of it all. I listened to it. Continuously, I hear the resounding voices of our ancestors even. Their voices help to shape us and mold us. Their voices serving as valuable help tips in chaotic circumstances. Their voices stay with us our whole lives, directing us, still teaching us. It is up to us, however, to select which voices to turn down and which ones to turn up to a volume we listen and respond to. An awakening happened for me when I was out mowing the lawn about two weeks ago. And I all of a sudden had a flashback to when I was part of the Pentecostal Christian faith tradition, to when I was 12, 13 years old or so. We learned and used to sing the 1995 song by gospel artist Dorothy Norwood, Shake the Devil Off. We children sang this song until we were blue in the face, no joke. There was a reason we sang this song so much, and we eventually got the picture. We were supposed to shake loose that pesky old devil anytime he was out seeking whom he may devour, rebuke his awful ways whenever he tried to put us down to the ground and take us out. Somehow we had to shake him loose. That was our charge. We had to let him know that he was not in control of our lives and could not rob us of our destiny. This was our very task, the task we were given when we were faced by this predator. Here's the problem, and the only problem was, is that we were kids. And as kids, did we really comprehend the wiles of the devil? Who was this prince of darkness? Who, who was he? And could we actually comprehend this historic Lucifer, this former son of the morning? For most of us, I think not. Who the heck really was this devil being? For most of us, we did not truly know. Yet we were indoctrinated with this figure over and over and over again until the fear of his very presence on earth, his evil motives took root. We shook in our boots at the very mention of his many names, learned that the Bible was a sword that we could use against his many attacks, and stood firm that we, like a tree planted by the rivers of water, we shall not be, we shall not be moved. And according to the church folk all around us, we were not going anywhere. Should the devil raise his head up, hiss at us, and bite. As time passed, I grew a little bit. I'm still growing. I have now come to realize that all those years spent singing that song 
being taught to be on the lookout for the devil, being prepped for all of his attacks, were perhaps a means to a deeper understanding of not only the devil, but a deeper understanding into the very uh, meaning of the word itself. And so today, I want to call the devil by its true name, fear. As an adult, I have become so in tune that our lives are molded too much by fear. We fear making mistakes. We fear trying new things. We fear failure. We even fear success. It is no secret that our very human condition to have doubts and to have fears track stoppers. These elements are indeed part of our lives. I also know that they were never meant to control or define us, define who we are as human beings. The flip side is fear can keep us safe and cause a realization within us about our own limitations. When that voice inside you says, don't touch that hot stove burner, it's hot. It's probably a wise decision to not do so. <laughs> when the voice within you says, the food in the back of the freezer that's been in there several months is most likely freezer burnt, it might not be a good idea to prepare it for lunch or dinner. Just saying. And when a young person is scared to ride a bicycle for the first time without the balancing aid of training wheels, that's a healthy fear that might save you from a hospital visit. Yet fear can also be at times false evidence appearing real, which holds us back from our true callings, from being our true selves, from being and doing what we are capable of. And this is the point of the message today. I know in my heart of hearts that fear is truly a motivator in my life, something I do not often admit to in the public realm. I know I'm not the only one, though. But does anyone else hear voices of, you need to do more, you need to move faster, you need to prove your worth, you have to be 10 times faster than your colleagues if you want to succeed? Anybody? Is it fair to say that fear does not necessarily shut us down, rather it wakes us up? Ponder on that. Within the spheres of religion and spirituality, we as Unitarian Universalists are often accustomed to hearing about many of the world's spiritual leaders, as they understood that we are not supposed to live in fear. They knew we would not accomplish much had we chosen to do so only. Hence the invitations or inventions of the stoplight, peanut butter, the hot comb, shoes, eyeglasses, this very microphone. None of these things will be possible without courage and having courage to surpass fear. One of these spiritual leaders of interest, and of course, familiar to my childhood, Jesus. Let us take a look into the valuable story involving he and his disciples. It takes place in the book of Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. This parable reveals to us that when Peter stepped out of the boat onto the water, in verse 29, he became distracted and took on a great doubt. Then he sank, in verse 30. Jesus follows up by saying to Peter, in verse 31, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? I think Jesus knew in that moment 
The opposite of courage was not doubt. It was fear. In fact, there are three important lessons that I have learned from the life of Jesus in particular. Number one, Jesus did not let fear of failure, rejection, or even death determine how he thought, how he spoke, how he acted. And that is probably the reason that we continue hearing of Jesus, because he had the audacity to live. Number two, Jesus taught love and compassion, yet an act of betrayal ended him. The greatest lesson of his death, fear does not stop death, it stops life. And number three, Jesus often took respite, seeking both renewal and restoration. Here's the lesson. It is crucial to take a few steps back in our moments of challenge, to then understand what is required to move forward. I may not agree with every faith tradition, their beliefs, their practices. I do, however, admire and give great respect to their traditions and customs, their rituals, their holidays observed. I give great respect to the many spiritual leaders whose faith was not only tested by those within and outside their voices, but also that they too tested and learned from their own lives. That even now can be powerful living lessons for us today. Whether it be the Buddha, Jesus, Gandhi, Julian of Norwich, whomever it might be, as a collective, they too are calling us to look closer and see deeper than the fear on the surface of our own circumstances. They, like our ancestors, are inviting us to consider. Our thinking will not overcome fear. Our actions will. And furthermore, take care that no shame exists within fear. It's how we face it. And in this current version of the world we live in, more complicated, louder, with the continued advancements of technology, even more so than our ancestors, our country seems awash in fear. And I would be a fool to negate that some of that fear is based on our own lived experiences. People in the South, for example, right now they're fearing more discriminatory legislation that challenges their very being. People in Ukraine right now are fearing more destruction to their country with hostile takeover on the horizon. People in the US, right here in the US, are fearing more and more inflation on the cost of goods. Women nationally are fearing what more may come with unjust legislation against their own bodies. So many of our neighbors are afraid of being detained in a concentration camp or deported back to the countries they fled. Many of our siblings of color, including me, still fear to live in their own homes. Parents send their children out in the morning, afraid that they might not come home for dinner. Some fear is being engineered by politicians who don't have a sense of self any larger than their job description, and who are yet still in positions of power they both do not deserve and do not qualify to be in. 
On one hand, we are in the strange limbo of COVID policies being mandated and not, grappling with safety and life. On the other, many of us fear that our moral center has indeed collapsed. Not collapsing, but collapsed. Fear seems to be a common currency. Fear that will be seen by our foes as weak and fear that is consistently used to control our very populace. As if we are somehow unable to weed out the lies to arrive at the facts. Even after 9-11, we were afraid and justifiably so. The collective fear of this nation could have been used to strengthen current and form new partnerships with one another and with our neighbors and other countries, both in love and in innovation. Yet what we saw was the powerful strength of our collective fear used to engage in war. Our fear can truly become a force of awakening not used for continued harm to us and other peoples. We cannot continue to justify our fear as a means that would otherwise yield harm to anyone. For too long, we have lived in an economy that is not beneficial to everyone, one that encourages people to spend far more than they earn, one that encourages people to pull from the planet far more resources than the earth offers. One that encourages us toward a society that does not care for the most vulnerable among us. One that encourages us toward a society of racially discriminative practices. I digress. As I admittedly have a great fear for the next generation. A great fear for their survival. I am asking questions daily such as, what is being left to them exactly. What challenges will they face as a result of our practices today? Is it possible that the very boat we've been sailing in is not meant to keep us afloat? Will this blue boat we often sing about sink because we didn't pay closer attention to the details of this journey? As we have said many times together, as Unitarian Universalist, it takes a village, amen? That's why we're here. We gather in this place on Sundays to worship, to commune with one another, to embrace our local and broader communities and love and with care, to bid on auctions that benefit our mission, to declare words oriented to and about justice that become actionary to give our children an education much broader than a singular creed. These things are part of our fellowship. But we gather mostly to live out our principles in action, without fear as one. We are meeting each other where we are. We light our chalice holding our local and broader communities in love. We sing as one voice united. We share words of strength and of truth. We confront hopelessness and despair and protest. We rally together because we are building villages with each other. And while courage does not come without fear, I remind you of this. 
We are disciples of justice. We are disciples of love, and we are disciples of hope. We are courage carriers. It's time to shake the devil off. I never once considered that this song that was sung in my childhood so many years ago would ever come back to me in this form, this way today. It has truly awakened me, a reminder that in this time and within everyday living, there is another way to deal with fear. While fear is ever present, yes, the knee-jerk reaction of hiding within its comfort is certainly not the answer. However, let me submit to you today that it might be the fuel that gets that engine going, giving us the ability to cut down all of the high grass that is blocking the beauty of wonder to be had in this life. We have much work still to accomplish as Unitarian Universalists. And to live a spiritual life, one of meaning, means that we listen to that still small voice within each of us. It really can offer moments of awakening should we choose to accept its charge. Here is my prayer. That we remain a people not hindered by fire, nor by brimstone, not hindered by darkness, nor despair. That we see clearly even when the rain is present. That we get out of the boat and traverse the water as if it were dry ground. That we will emulate the strength of those mighty waves and flood the world with courage so big that peace has no other option than to happen. It's time to shake the devil off. Amen and I'll shake.